This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Uh, I'm going to do something I felt like the Lord wanted me to do, and I don't want to do, okay? Um, Normally when I get to this moment, uh, I've kind of prepped a message, and I'm stoked about it. And uh, I guess if you're kind of thinking about life, it's just like I'm running. But today, I kind of come in limping a little bit. This has been a rough week for me. Some of you would never have guessed that, especially in the world that we live in where everything is gauged by the smiles you see on Facebook and Instagram. Um, But about nine months ago, I made a decision to get healthy, and that meant that I had to start facing things that were inside of me. And and this has just been one of those weeks. Nobody's done anything to me. Nobody's said anything, but... All of a sudden, there's this new group of fears and insecurities and doubts in myself that I've never really had to face before, and I'm facing them now. Maybe for the first time since I was an adolescent, it feels a little awkward and weird and weak, and there's been a lot of times this week that I've cried and, um, and uh, felt broken and, uh, and lost and um, felt very, very weak, and I think now I just want to go back to an opening statement that we made in this series where we said, you know, I know a hot mess when I see one because I am one. Sometimes we we look at people and we we don't even realize the mess that exists behind the facade. And uh, I mean, I can just stand here today as a as a testimony that that I, I am a, a mess in so many ways. And maybe you're a mess. Maybe you have been a mess. Maybe you're just one bad decision away from becoming a mess again. And I just want to remind you that the reason that we know a mess when we see one is mostly because we have been. Now, many of us have experienced some pretty big messes in life. I don't know if you have. Have you ever had a, a, your kids make a big... If you, some of you have been sharing some awesome pictures of your kids making some pretty huge messes. I can remember this trip that my wife and I took when we first got married. We, we, were, we were on vacation... And we were driving them. There were no restaurants because we went to the middle of the mountains, which is what you do when you're a newlywed because what you, you don't need an attraction. You just need a nice place to go to sleep. And so we, we were in the middle of the mountains, and, and there was only one restaurant. It was an A&W uh, cafeteria. And, and I'm not very fond of their food at all, but, but I thought, hey, let, let's go out and get a root beer float. Which, if you've ever been there, they apparently only have two sizes, which is like normal and then gigantic. Which comes, gigantic comes in a glass mug that's about as big as my torso. That's about how big the mug is. Now, when we got there, it was a drive-in because it was in an older community. And the guys that were working there were skating, 
like like the girls do at Sonic, okay? And I understand it's uh, you know it's a drive-in, it's an attractive I guess thing to get people to come in because the people skate. But you know at Sonic you're not carrying glass mugs filled with root beer. So we decided we'll order one, and we sat in our car, and I saw the guy emerge. He didn't seem very secure on his skates in the first place. And he started skating towards us with these huge mugs of root beer, and my window was rolled down, ready to receive the goodness of the root beer float, which I, I did receive it, but it went all over me and the car and apparently the ceiling and every... It's ridiculous. Have you ever noticed that when you spill a liquid, it'll simultaneously hit the floor and the ceiling at the same time? And it did. And I was so messy. I was so messy in that moment. I had to get out of the car and try to clean it up. There was no cleaning it up for the next like two years. Whenever you sat in that cloth seat, it was a little bit like Velcro because you felt like you couldn't get out of it real quick. Right? You know what normally happens when we see a mess? We want to do exactly what we did right after that. You want to walk away. You want to walk away from the mess of life. When we see people that are messy, when we hear messy stories, we, we want to walk away from it. And Jesus, Jesus told this story that is really about that. And it's really, it's at once empowering and on the other hand, it's totally condemning. In Luke 10, Jesus is being questioned uh, by a lawyer, nonetheless. Um, and the guy was very, very smart, and he had asked Jesus, um, and let's just look at it. Luke 10, verse 25, and one day an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus, which is, okay, go for it, um, by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And I love how Jesus responded to him. Because Jesus looked at him and go, well, what, what do the scriptures say? You know, I think that's a great question and a great answer to our question. How, how many questions do you have that you, you don't even know what the Bible says about it? And you keep getting angry at God for not answering the question, but God's already answered. And so, so Jesus goes, well, what does the Bible say? What do the scriptures say? He goes, well, the two greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love the na your neighbor as yourself. And he said, well, that's good. That's good. You have answered correctly. So then, continuing on, the man said this, look, then the man who wanted to justify his actions. So we asked Jesus, so who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? In other words, I'm probably not loving a lot of people like myself. I'm probably not being the kind of person. So to justify himself, he asked this question. So Jesus told a story like Jesus often did. 
And he sets up the story with a Jewish man walking along the road. And the Jewish man would have been, if you were in the crowd, he was one of you. He was, if it were me, if it were me telling the story, I would say, a man from Albemarle. It, it would, it, they would have, have received the, the main character here as being one of the, a Jewish man walking along the road was beaten and robbed. He was robbed to the degree that he was stripped naked because even his clothes at that point in time were valuable. And so he was beaten within an inch of his life and left for dead. And then Jesus continues on. And along came a priest. And if you were in the crowd, you would have thought, all right, here's the hero, the priest. And Jesus says, no, here comes the priest. He, he saw them, and then he, he went to the other side of the road and passed by and did nothing. Okay, well, that's a twist. And then along came a Levite. Now, to, to just put it in modern-day context, a, a priest would have been like a lead pastor, and a Levite would have been like the worship leader or the youth pastor. And the Levite came along, and if you're the crowd, you probably go, oh, well, the priest was probably busy, so the Levite's going to get... Uh, nope, not exactly. The Levite does the same thing, sees the injured man, walks by on the other side of the road. And then Jesus says... And along came a Samaritan man. And I can imagine the crowd going, uh-uh, you ain't going to do this, Jesus. There you go. Always taking the bad guy and turning him into the good guy because Samaritans were outcasts. They were the ones that, that good Jewish folks wouldn't associate with. They were unclean, and they, they represented unholiness, and they wouldn't have any kind of relationship with them. But Jesus says, then along came a Samaritan man, and he saw the man. And look what he did. He attended to the man's wounds. He stopped, and he, and he bandaged him up. He cleaned his wounds. And then he traveled with him. And he takes him with him towards the destination that they were headed towards. And then when he gets there, he actually pays for him to stay in the hotel where he's staying. At this point, the level of engagement is not just passive, it's extreme. And then after a few days when the man was done with his business, but the other man, the Jewish man, had yet to heal, he takes time and says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay to cover his expenses while he heals and recovers. And so Jesus looks at that lawyer and says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go do the same. You see, the life that Jesus wants us to live will require us to move towards the mess. It will require us to move towards the messes of life. And if we're honest, 
Well, you don't want to do that. If we're honest, we don't want to do that. Because there's such liabilities that go with doing that. It's not easy. Puts us out of our typical patterns of living. And it's probably not something that you planned on. But see, as a church, y'all pay attention to this. We, we have made a decision that we as a church are going to move towards the mess. That we're going to move towards the messes of life. Which means that at time, we're going to deal with people that maybe do things a little different. Because I don't know if y'all realize this, but there's a difference between what I would call church sense and common sense. There's a difference between those two. And most churches, most churches do really well if the people who come to their church have a lot of church sense. They do. They're set up for people who come in and understand how church works. Let me give you a great example of this. This is coming to church with your family. All right, if you come to church with your kids and you have church sense, when you walk in the door, you start looking for where's the kids' ministry, where do my kids go? And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, the people who work in the kids' ministry must be background checked. They must be trustworthy. Otherwise, the church wouldn't let them do that. You start thinking, hey, you know what? It's probably best even for my kids to be in kids' ministry because they're going to learn something there that they probably couldn't get if I drug them into church with me. And it's probably even better for me because then I'd have to spend the whole time in church trying to get them to pay attention, and I wouldn't be paying attention. But that's church sense. It's not common sense. Common sense is for the family who has never been to church that walks in their door and they go, you want me to do what? Drop my kids off with you? Who are you? <laughs> what do you mean? This is, these are my most prized possessions. I love them more than anything else. How do I know what you're going to do with them when I'm not around? For all these stories about other churches. How do I know that's not going to happen here? No, 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 no. No, I'm not doing that. You know what? That I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep them with me. And if we feel like this is a place that's okay, maybe one day. <laughs> maybe one day. That's common sense. And what that means is that sometimes when we deal with messy families, they're going to bring their kids in here and they're going to be a little loud and distracted and it's just going to happen. Okay? But let me just say this. If you're a part of our church family, that's why we do kids ministry. Let me just give you the answer for you. Okay? The reason that we do kids ministry is because it is better for them to experience Jesus in an environment that's created for them. And it's better for you to be able to sit in here without having to worry about distracting them or keeping them entertained or any, so that you can focus your hearts on Jesus. That's why we want you to put your kids down there because we put a lot of investment in it. But when you're a church that says we're going to move towards the mess, you know what happens? Is that every once in a while there's going to be some messy folks that show up. And that's part of it. It's part of it. 
And our church family is designed to deal with that. You see, I think sometimes when it comes to the messes of the world that we often avoid the messes because we're intimidated by the scope of the mess. We're intimidated by the scope. Some of your hearts have been moved by, by poverty and in, in, that you've seen it in, in a young person that you've worked with or with a family that you've come in contact with. Some of you have been moved by addiction where you've had a friend who's lost their life to addiction. Some of you have even been lost or kind of moved by homelessness when you, you drive down the road and you see that guy that's homeless and you, you know that there's a story and you know that there's brokenness. And maybe, maybe you're like me, okay? This is what breaks my heart. Functional orphans. Kids that may have a mom or a dad or maybe even a mom or a dad, but functionally they're orphans because their parents have no time for them. They spend no time with them. They don't care about them. They're just basically orphans with the parent that provides a home and occasionally some food. And so many times we see the scope of it. But can I give you an answer I think that we even see in that story? And this is so powerful. Do for one what you would like to do for all. Do for one what you would like to do for all. We've got to move towards the mess and we've got to know that there's occasionally going to be stories that intersect ours. That's exactly what happened with the Samaritan and that man on the road. Their stories intersected. And we have to be willing to move towards that mess and to do for one. But here's the trapping there too. We need to move towards the mess, but not every mess. Because if you do that, you'll make a bigger mess. Okay? You are not God, and you can't fix every mess. I learned this with a young man. His name was Zach. This is a picture of Zach. That's about seven years ago. Zach came to our student ministry. And I, I, I didn't... I didn't pick him out. He picked me out. I, I do much better when people pick me out. And he would follow me around and ask me questions. And he lived down uh, the street from us. And he would dry, walk up the street and, and just see if I was outside. And if I was outside, he would stop and talk to me. And after a while, I realized that God was doing something in his heart. I didn't know his story at all. Uh, his mom at that time didn't attend our church. And, and so I said, Zach, why don't we hang out a little bit? And so we called his mom, and I would go pick him up from middle school, and we would go get coffee, which is really cool if you're in middle school to go get coffee with a grown-up. And not so, not so cool for many of you to go get coffee with me now, but it was, he thought it was awesome. And so we would, we would do that, and we would talk, we would talk about nothing important. 
okay, bands that he liked, and he was learning how to play the drums, and the older that he got, we'd bring him over, and we'd cook dinner together, and then we'd eat, and we didn't have any kids at that time, so it was a lot easier to do stuff like that, and then he started playing drums, and I would use him, even though he was horrible, he was horrible, y'all, I would use him on Sundays occasionally, just to get him up there, and just to have him around, When he was graduating, his mom uh, found this essay, and it's, it's still in my office, and framed, which is filled with a, a bunch of bullcrap about me <laughs> um, that says I'm, I'm awesome and the coolest guy that he ever knew, and, and even he thinks I can play the banjo, which I can't. <laughs> but in that, he says that I led him to Jesus. I, I never knew that. And I was, at this point, not even around him anymore. He kind of went through this rebellious stage where he turned his back on Jesus and quit coming to church. But his mom had started coming to church by that time. And I led his mom to Jesus. You know what's interesting? That today his mom works on staff at a church running a volunteer ministry. Zach is in school and plays drums in their worship team. I couldn't do that for everybody. And that's just one of those stories where you have to sometimes ask the question, how do I know who, who the one is? <laughs> How do I know that one person is? The one person that, that I get to love and care for and maybe just be a part of their mess and, and be there because I get to move. It's not going to be clean. It's not going to be sterile. Who is that? I can just tell you that oftentimes it just picks you out. It's a lot like Zach or Seth who's sitting in the back and moved to be a part of this or other guys along the way that God has given me the ability to do that with. We may call that a divine appointment, a divine nudge, divine flow, but whatever it is. But the, the truth is, and this is where the next few minutes are going to hurt, okay? They're going to hurt your heart. Just get prepared for it, okay? That we resist this. I mean, if we're honest, we resist God's leading for us to get close to messy people. And there are a few reasons why, and I've listed them in your notes today. The first one is that it's not convenient. It's not convenient. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have a plan for themselves, a way that they think things should go, the the trajectory of your life as you see it. And if you ever get involved with messy people, it totally interrupts your plans. And many of us, if we're just blunt and honest about it, we're too busy. We're just too busy 
to get involved in somebody else's life. You're booked so, so tight that throughout the whole day, it's just hard for you to keep, hard to keep up and hard to keep up. So I'm going to throw up this statement, and, and I, I think this is one of the, this is going to hurt. I'm not going to leave it up too long because it's going to hurt too much, all right? That you'll know that you are too busy when messy people are inconveniences rather than opportunities. You'll know that you're too busy when messy people are inconveniences rather than opportunities. Think about the story of the Good Samaritan. The priest and the Levite, especially as Jesus set the context, were probably headed to do ministry-related tasks. They were going to do good things. But they were busy doing good things. They were so busy doing good things that they couldn't do the best thing. Think about that. It's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. The second thing about getting involved with messy people and moving towards the the mess, the reason that we resist is it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable which is a huge problem for us. I mean, it's a massive problem. And here's the problem. We love comfort. We love it. As a matter of fact, comfort is the majority of your goals. You want to make enough money to live comfortably, buy a house that's comfortable, live in uh, with furniture that's comfortable when you sit in it. You want to drive a car that's comfortable, and you'd like to save enough money that when you retire, you can live comfortably. Comfortable is our goal. And there's nothing wrong with having in life comfort zones. There's nothing wrong with that. But comfort zones are places in life where we need to rest, we need to be reinvigorated, and we need to be prepared to, to live. But, but comfort zones are horrible places to live. They're horrible places to live from. Because you know what happens in a comfort zone? Nothing. Nothing happens in a comfort zone. You don't grow, you don't progress, you don't change, you don't develop. When your goal in life is comfort, your life will become boring. See, if we insist on comfort, boredom is inevitable. Which is why there are so many people who in their spiritual walk, week after week, go to their church and they come home and they say, you know what, man, I just, I, I, I think I just need to leave church. And so on Monday morning or Tuesday morning, it's not uncommon as a pastor to get a church or get an email from somebody that says, hey, you know what, we've been coming to church for a while, but, but we need to check out. 
not get we just feel like we're not getting fed and you know what used to be exciting is no longer exciting and you know what happens when you dive into the story more often than not the problem is not that they're not being fed the problem is that they're not engaged that they're not serving because you don't get bored in your faith when you're addressing the mess. You don't get bored when you're engaged in addressing the mess. But that's uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable. Just to be honest, it's uncomfortable. But here's the truth that I want you to see today. It's impossible to stay comfortable and follow Jesus. It is impossible to stay comfortable and follow Jesus. And I just felt like it would be helpful for us to have our third world problems framed against somebody who's a brother and sister in our our faith, someone who has given their lives to Jesus, who is facing something that many of us could not even understand. Her name is Asia Bibi. She lives in Pakistan. And a little over five years ago, she was arrested. She was arrested on counts of heresy because she decided that Jesus Christ was Lord and Savior. And she publicly professed as a woman in Pakistan that God has saved me, Jesus is Lord. That's a picture of her in the middle right now. She is on death row, awaiting execution in Pakistan, and refuses refuses to give up Jesus. See, we don't engage the mess because it's uncomfortable. And lastly, we we resist getting involved in the mess because we're not in control. Like I told you, you know, with Zach, I spent three or four years with him where once or twice every other month we would get together and hang out. There was no program with it. There was no intentionality. It was just spending time. It was just hanging out. It was just loving on him. And then when he hit high school and he finally could drive, he really did rebel. He turned his back on Jesus and ran away. The problem is that a lot of times we feel like when we make a deposit into somebody, we deserve some kind of return. But here's the truth that I want you to see today. People are not projects. People are not projects. I can tell you something. The more time that I spent with him, the more that I learned. Because his dad, his dad left him before he was born. In his lifetime, his dad had called him only three times. Three times. 
And as I listened to him talk about who he was and what he wanted to do, his life made a huge impact on who I am. Sometimes we get more than we ever even think we could give. See, people aren't projects. People are objects of love and affection. And they deserve, they deserve love. So if we're going to move towards the mess, let's talk about what that looks like today. If you're interested in learning more about this, I've stolen a lot of this from a book called Moving Towards the Mess. Uh, It's available at guest services, a very limited amount for $5. Um, if, if you're just someone who reads, if you're not going to read the book and you're going to take it home and put it on a shelf and not read it, don't get it because I only have five copies. But if it is something that you want to read, you can do that. Moving towards the mess. What would it take for us to move towards the mess? Number one, moving towards the mess. I want you to see this moves us from boredom to engagement. It actually moves us from boredom to engagement. You know, a lot of times when we think about boredom, we think the opposite of boredom is entertainment, which is why if you watch parents today, when parents have bored kids, what do they do? They hand them a tablet and let them be entertained. Okay? You know what our parents did when we were bored? They told us to go out in the yard. Y'all remember getting told to go out in the yard? All right, and stay out in the yard. Don't come in here. And we, had, we couldn't come in until the streetlights turned on. That's when we could come back in. And we had to find something to do. All right? Even if it was just playing with dirt, we'd figure it out. All right? But what? Our culture shifted. And if you're honest, you've even shifted too. Where the opposite of boredom is entertainment, which is sometimes why we get fed up at church because we feel like I'm not being entertained. And the problem is not that you're not being entertained. It's that you're not engaged. You're not engaged. Entertainment is fleeting. It will only last for a moment. Engagement lasts for a lifetime. The real lasting solution for boredom is engagement. Engagement And see this, Christians that are the most excited about their faith are the ones who are, their faith is engaged in service, which is why you have friends that go to a church that you would never attend because it's tiny. And honestly, the services are horrible, but they love that church because they serve with all their heart at that church and they give their their just money and time and efforts and talents to make that church run. And because they are so engaged, it is meaningful to them. Christians are most excited about their faith when they're engaged. So number two, identify the people that your life naturally intersects. You know, the Samaritan didn't have to go looking for that man on the side of the road. He was there. He naturally was. God gave him that opportunity. And there are people that are in your life right now. Maybe it's a worker or a co-worker. Maybe it's friends and family. Maybe it's a neighbor in the neighborhood that you live in. There's somebody in your life that God is inviting you to move towards their mess. And as a matter of fact, I'm just going to announce, we'll give you more details in just a few weeks, something called Love Your Neighbor. Okay? This summer, in June, July, and August, we're going to give you these challenges to love your neighbor. 
okay, and to do acts of service. And we're going to give you these cards and door hangers that will let your friends and family know, hey, we showed up, we did this because we love you, okay? Because we want you to actively be pursuing finding the one. So number three, and this is just where we'll wrap it all up. Do for one what you would like to do for all. Do for one what you would like to do for all. You may not be able to solve the homeless crisis in the world, but you might be able to help one. You probably can't help all addicts, and you might not even be able to solve one, but you can get involved with one. If you know a kid that's been abandoned, his parents aren't there, and he needs to be loved and supported, you can do it for one. I mean, isn't, isn't that the message of Jesus, that, that he came to us even when we were messy? He came to not just be with us in our mess. He came to set us free from our mess. So maybe today you're the person that's been fearful. You said, I, I just, I'm scared of getting involved in their mess. If I get involved in their mess, it might make me messy too. Maybe you're here today and you're pragmatic. And you just say, well, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? Remember that God never took that attitude with you. And maybe you're here today and you've just been so prideful. You even said to yourself, what will people think if they see me with that person? All of that is sin. And all of that will keep you in your comfort zone. And you will never, ever, ever become the person that God knows you can be in your comfort zone. And so the invitation is to do exactly what Jesus did for you, to move towards the mess. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.